So now we're going to get continue our quest into finding fish, where fish live and why. We talked about food earlier. We talked about protection. And so now we're going to talk about comfort and fish sex. Three things fish need for comfort. Water temperature, oxygen, and the effects of weather. Let's start off with, with temperature. This is the one that really guides fish and their, their seasonal life cycles. We're going to reuse the largemouth bass as an example here. Other species will vary off of this. Um, so when water temperature is below 55 degrees, we're not going to see a whole bunch of activity in, in largemouth bass. They're, they're kind of lethargic. They're just kind of hanging out. Yes, they do eat. But they don't really chase down their food. Uh, they're literally waiting for the, the, the sushi conveyor belt to come by and deliver something literally right in front of their nose. They open their mouth, suck it in, and eat that way. Uh, they're, they're not very active. Until about 55 degrees. And as the water starts to warm up, they go into the pre-spawn gorge. They have been doing this the entire frickin' winter. They're bored. They're tired. They want to do something. And just like humans, when that thermometer hits about 55, uh, 50 degrees, 55 degrees on campus, what do you see? People out in Dunmeadow. T-shirts, shorts, smiles. People are enjoying this warm weather. Oh, what a nice day. You see homeowners getting out with the rake, starting to clean up the yards. This is exciting. It's no longer winter. It's no longer February. When the water temperature gets to about 60 degrees, fish start to think about breeding. And the, the spawning period starts. This starts with the, 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 the females coming into shallow waters looking for a place to build a nest. The old large females are the first to go in and they will usually look for a nest that in deeper water. And the, the perfect nesting spot would be, you know, um, something with four bedrooms, two baths. No, I'm sorry. Um, something a, a, around 10, 12 feet deep, a, a sandy bottom. Not a lot of silt or certainly not muck. They'll use their tail to fan out a, a, a depression, uh, usually about oh, 18 inches, 2 feet in diameter. And they will work to clear that area of any large rocks, twigs, sticks, um, you know, crayfish, undesirables, that type of thing. You know, make it nice and clean. And then she will sit there and, and lay her, her eggs. She'll go off and start to kind of rest and, 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 and relax after her ordeal and, and slowly start to eat, not, not aggressively. The, the male will come into the nest and then uh, fertilize the nest and then guard the nest. 
He's there for the duration. He's just kind of hanging out. He's keeping everything out of the nest except his eggs. And we'll, we'll see this in bluegill where you'll have this big bull bluegill. I mean, these guys, you know, old old guys are sitting there, you know, guarding their nest. And they've been doing this for years and years and years. And they're pretty big. Sometimes this is the only time you will see them. They will literally die defending their nest. Anything that comes into the nest, they will will kick out. When I was a kid, I would 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 use like a sponge rubber spider and and cast right on top of the net and and let it let it sink after it become waterlogged. And it would I would watch the the big blue, big bull bluegill watch the the spider falling down into the nest goes out grabs it obviously with his mouth takes it outside the nest spits it out and returns to the center of the nest and i did this for well it seemed like hours it was probably only 15 minutes but each time he would never eat it he would only take it and push it outside of the nest largemouth bass are going to do the same thing they're going to protect their nest for some fishermen this is absolutely the prime of life this is the best time to fish other fishermen kind of treat this as let the fish do what the fish need to do so that there's more fish later to fish for and they don't mess with with spawning uh, uh, spawning species. The DNR fisheries biologists are kind of mum about this. It's kind of built into their equations for, for maintaining healthy fish populations in their managed lakes. If you're a private landowner with a lake, that's something that you're going to have to, to decide if, if you want to, to let the fish, you know, some privacy or if you you know would allow fishing during that time you can catch fish take them off the nest release them and they will go right back to the nest so some people will argue that you can catch the fish as long as you're practicing catch and release it's not harmful remember that under the best circumstances we probably still have a fairly high mortality rate of caught fish so this is up to you this is kind of your your your, your decision if, if you want to fish during the spawn certain species maybe a nuisance species that you actually want to take advantage of the spawn to catch as many of the the the, the you know nuisance fish as you can to to reduce their numbers so after they um have have <clears throat> finished spawning the the eggs hatch you have these little fry as they're referred to um, the the adult will stay in the nest kind of guarding the younger fry up into a point and then it's he's kind of like i'm done with this and he goes wandering off he's also incredibly hungry at this point because he hasn't really been eating while he's been guarding the nest So he'll leave and, and, and start to 
go back to regular feeding as the water temperature warms it starts to approach 70 degrees feeding really starts to increase between about 70 75 degrees you get into uh, what's referred to as the post-spawn gorge and this is where the fish just kind of go crazy there is so much food in the water I mean it is like smorgasbord every day every place you look there's something to eat and fish just go crazy where did all this food come from yeah fish are cannibals they gave you know they gave birth to this they're eating their children there's just so much food i can't help it you know and 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 so they um they'll, they'll go into this the scourge uh really put on some weight uh you see some very fast growth rates um this goes on until everybody's full or the food starts to run out and in this area as the as the uh, the summer progresses uh water temperatures continue to rise uh once they hit about 80 degrees or so uh fish will start to uh kind of decrease their feeding become more sluggish they'll find cooler places to hang out um sun becomes a real factor as the the, the elevation of the sun in the sky uh, increases the penetration into the water column they'll start seeking out more shady areas um, under boat docks under boats um, the south shore of of lakes you know that is almost in perpetual uh, uh shade fallen trees uh, deeper water depths you know where the sun doesn't penetrate as, as deeply any place where they can can find some uh, uh, shelter from the sun remember fish don't have eyelids and they can't dilate their pupil uh, the way humans can or mammals for that matter this is a illustration of a thermocline a thermocline is the 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 boundary layer uh, between warm water and cold water if you've ever gone swimming in a lake during the summer you could be sweating as you run into the lake and you're out there treading water and sweat still pouring off of your your forehead but your feet are cold and you literally can feel that someplace around, I don't know, your knees, there is a very distinct differential between warm water and cold water. That is the thermocline. And fish can use this to find comfort. If they're a little bit chilly, they can, you know, they can move up into the warm water. And if it's just getting too freaking hot up here, they can... Um, uh, uh, expel some air from their swim bladder and and decrease their their density and their buoyancy and sink down below the thermocline and into the the cold water in a winter the opposite happens you'll have the cold water on on top then the thermocline and the warm water on the bottom and the same thing 
fish can go deeper to find that warmer water um, and avoid the cold water. However, we get into this spring and fall turnover. So <clears throat> we're coming out of winter uh, into spring, heading towards summer. So as this cold water sitting on top of this warm water it will reach a certain density level where it is heavier the heavier water is on top of the less dense warmer water in the bottom and it starts to sink and it's called a turnover and we have this in both the spring and the fall and basically the thermocline goes away and these waters just start to mix and and become one this is very important in the the, the, the natural you know life cycle of a, of a body of water in that nutrients from the bottom of the lake get brought up and mixed in uh, uh, to the water at the top of the lake and with <clears throat> increased sunlight photosynthesis you know the, that natural life cycle thing gets gets kicked off and plankton starts to bloom and and you know minnows start to eat and fish start to have have fish sex and then there's baby fry fish and this this life cycle just keeps keeps uh, uh, perpetuating This is probably one of the more revealing pieces of information I have found in, in books on fishing. These next two slides illustrate the relationship between oxygen and water temperature throughout the seasons. I'm not going to go through each individual plate here. That would be extremely excruciatingly boring uh, for you. I'll let you do this on your own. But let me point out that in the, uh, the, the, the early spring, we can see the warm water up here at the top and these little circles representing dissolved oxygen are all up at the top. The cooler water is just right below the, the warm water. So that would be your, your thermocline right up here. You can see in the bottom there's no oxygen. So the, all the oxygen has been, been depleted here and it's all concentrating up to the top. Guess where the fish are? If we drop down here to late summer we can see that the Warmer water is up here at the top, the cooler water down here, and dissolved oxygen is pretty well mixed throughout the, 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 the water column. And the fish are pretty evenly dispersed throughout the water column. If we go into fall, we can see that the oxygen at the bottom of the lake has been depleted and the fish are concentrated you know, more towards the, uh, uh, the upper reaches of the water column with a, a pretty good mix of temperature and, and oxygen. In the late winter down here, when we would expect fish to be hanging out at the bottom of the lake because it's nice and warm, such as in late fall, we find that there's no oxygen 
in the deeper, warmer water. But all the oxygen, or what little is remaining, is concentrated up near the surface. And that's where we're also finding the fish. Fish need oxygen. I was down at Lake Monroe, oh, this was back during the 90s. We had really hard, uh, hard winters. Uh, we would typically have about one week of, of sub-zero, not sub-freezing, but sub-zero uh, temperatures. It was absolutely wonderful. And <clears throat> Lake Monroe would, would completely freeze over. And I went down to, to Fairfax Beach and walked out on the ice. It was very windswept. So the, the ice was just absolutely crystal clear. And I suddenly realized that I was walking upon fish. And literally, there were hundreds, probably thousands, of gizzard shad frozen in the ice. It was like going to, you know, to, to a, um, um, uh, an Asian market and, and just seeing these, these frozen fish, you know, uh, 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 stacked in there. Um, just, just hundreds of them, thousands of them. And this was an example of winter kill that death by asphyxiation, oxygen starvation. As the, the fish were, were, were getting near the surface trying to, to you know, suck in all the oxygen they, they could because it's been depleted at depth, um, <laughs> they literally just get caught in the frozen water and are frozen in place. As the water temperature is warm and that ice starts to melt, you release a whole bunch of eh, freeze-dried food. And so that becomes a, a, a great, very easy uh, uh, source of, of uh, food right after the, the uh, winter thaw. Remember that gizzard shad have a very, very high... Um, are very low tolerance to to oxygen levels, and so they are absolute. They're they're the first species uh, that will go in in a real hard winter. Speaking of temperature, um, to kind of summarize the uh, spawning activity of largemouth bass. Um, 60 degrees is kind of the trigger point. Yeah, it might be 62 degrees, you know, 58 degrees. It's around 60 degrees. Uh, typically, uh, in this area, we'll see that between April and May. I have seen a spawn in June, uh, in, uh, you know, years ago. Um, in the north, the spawn will last about 30 days. In the south, it'll go about 30 to 40 days. Uh, as I mentioned, the older fish will spawn first. Uh, younger fish, younger females, uh, have to, there's literally a pecking order. Uh, the older you are, the deeper you get. And the idea is that the deep nests are going to be more, more protected.
so you'll find like a first first year uh, mother uh, spawning in a foot of water, which is not real good because you know there are tons of uh, birds that go around and feed on fish eggs. A uh, the average female can lay about uh, uh, two thousand to uh, seven thousand eggs per pound of body weight. So if you're looking at you know a three pound uh, if you're looking at a, at a three-pound uh, bass, you know, that, that could be up to 21,000 eggs. Um, of these, about 10 will ever reach 10 inches in length. So if we can surmise that from each nest, we're going to get about 10, you know, surviving fish out of that, those thousands, uh, only about 10 of them are ever going to get to, to be uh, uh, 10 inches. Um, a 17 inch largemouth is going to weigh around 3 pounds and it can eat a 10 inch largemouth bass. So if you want to talk mortality rates, uh, 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 infant mortality rates, um, there's about a 0.4% chance that you're going to make it you know, to adulthood if you're a largemouth bass. The one in 25 million chances of ever catching a largemouth um, that is uh, uh, 10 pounds or above is debated. Uh, this information comes from uh, BassSource.com, which is an absolutely fabulous website. They have all kinds of information on here. One thing that we're starting to see in in bass, so it's actually been going on for quite a, quite a while. Um, private lakes, uh, sportsmen's clubs, uh, which have been around for at least a hundred years. They are growing large, largemouth bass. They will actually hire lake managers, fishery managers, uh, to come in and formulate the lake to be the most productive for producing large fish. You know, they'll get the, uh, the predator-to-prey ratios just right, uh, good mix of aquatic vegetations, uh, eliminate any you know, competing predator species. There's just, just all kinds of techniques that they do this. And, and, you know, these people make some fairly decent money. Um, hint, hint, biology majors. Um, and they're growing very large fish. Um, we're seeing the same thing in the uh, deer hunting uh, arena where, where landowners, uh, property managers will plant food plots specifically for deer to produce very large racks, uh, antlers. Um, so this is, is managed wildlife, you know, uh, care. So springtime, we've got to... Uh, pre-spawn gorge and then the uh, the, the spawning period uh, during the summer we're going to see um, uh, fish uh, dispersed throughout the, uh, the the lake as we mentioned uh, shade becomes much more important you will see fish feed early and late during the summer if you're out there at one o'clock in the afternoon 
and you're not catching anything except maybe a few juvenile bluegills you know <laughs> what do they know um, there's a reason for this because as the water temperatures warm and the, the sun intensity increases fish are going to switch to uh, uh, diurnal feeding you know basically sunrise and sunset so maybe that's when you should be concentrating your fishing efforts uh, during the fall we get a, 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 a pre-winter gorge. Uh, the fish are going to be uh, more shallow. They're going to be uh, hunting. Uh, this is absolutely a favorite time to fish for a, a lot of fishermen. Uh, it's after Labor Day. People are back in school. People are back at work. Uh, you don't have the crowds, and you have absolutely gorgeous gorgeous scenery you know as, as the leaves start to turn and there's very few boaters out I mean not very many people you know are, are very active during the uh, the fall summertime absolute total circus wintertime bass are going to be seeking uh, warm water and oxygen um, most people don't fish for bass during the winter, but you can catch bass in the winter. Uh, the further south you go, the less term winter means. In Florida, you're fishing for bass year-round. It might be a little slower during December, January, February, but it's still there. I mean, because it's, it just doesn't get that cold. Uh, uh, bass are going to behave differently in in Texas than they are in in Minnesota okay let's uh, get into oxygen actually let's save oxygen for the next video